You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Fred Connolly. Did I, did I volunteer? I'm not sure if I volunteered. Um, before I start my story, I want to note that Molly didn't say we had to have phones turned off. So if anyone got their phone turned on, maybe record me because my wife's on the other side of the world right now. And of all the people I'd like to tell this story to, I think it's probably her most of all. So if anyone can record this, and maybe we can share it with her. Is that all right? Lifted up a little bit. Um, so um, we've just been through Christmas. We've just come out the other side. And my story starts at a Christmas several years ago. And I don't know about you, but at Christmas, when you're supposed to have holiday time, that's when I tend to get sick. The kind of cold that you tell everyone is the flu, but it's really just a cold. And I was laying at home all by myself, feeling absolutely rotten. And the only thing for it was to watch The Muppets. And there was a Muppet movie on television at that point, And it was one of their Christmas movies, not the... Christmas Carol one, it was another one, and inexplicably, in this film, David Arquette played an angel, and slightly more explicably, uh, Whippy Goldberg played God, and the angel went to God and said, I'm really worried about Kermit, I'm really worried, and he's in a bad way, he's going to lose the theatre, because, you know, it was a Muppet film, it's the plot of almost every Muppet film, so they're going to lose the theatre, and God said to the angel, I'm not, I'm not worried about Kermit at all, why, said David Angel Arquette. Because Kermit always does the right thing, said Whoopi Godberg. And I <laughs> and I I uh, I just lay there with tears and snot streaming down my face saying, Yes, Kermit always does do the right thing. And she'd hit the nail on the head because Kermit absolutely is my moral traffic light. <laughs> always always green. But as long back as I remember, he's been he's been the way. What would Kermit do? So I want to tell you three stories about when I met Kermit the Frog, not once, not twice, but three times. And because, just checking again, Molly's stories have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but not necessarily in that order. That's correct, isn't it? So I'm not going to tell you about these meetings with Kermit in the right order, but we will start with the first one. Um, for 20-some years, I wrote about film, and I did a lot of interviews, and the greatest person, person, greatest frog, the greatest individual I ever interviewed was Kermit. And on the first time I met Kermit, I was sitting in a little holding bay with some sort of potpourri-type crisps on the table, a little bit like this, waiting to go and speak to him. And I looked up, and I saw a man, an ageing hippie, we're describing him, walking past the door, and I looked at him, and I thought, I know that man, and he knew I recognised him, and he was, we shall say, Kermit's special friend or assistant and a few minutes later I was let into the room to go and speak to Kermit and you know they say never meet your heroes don't look behind the curtain you do not want to know how sausage is made and I walked in and there was this hippie lying on the floor and I looked down at him and I greeted him and I put my arm down to shake his hand and then weirdly came with his left hand what was that all about but I noticed his right hand was in some sort of green sock I wasn't really sure what was going on, and I sat down in my chair, and I looked over, and out of the corner of my eye, up sat Kermit the Frog, stretched himself out, and then from that minute on, it was just the two of us in the room. I swear to you, it was just the two of us. 
and this was videoed and it's online. And um, if you, maybe I'll drop a hint somewhere later on to people where they can watch this. But I sat there and I spoke to Kermit the Frog. And I'll tell you that my big takeaway from that was that I met Kermit the Frog. And that might sound impossible, but I really did. And I really feel like I met him. And he was still my hero. And it was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> the third time I met Kermit the Frog was at the press junket for the next Muppets film after that. And I went along and he was doing double interviews with Piggy. So I went in and spoke to them both together, and um, I showed them a photo. And again, this video is online, you can see this. And I held up my phone, and I had a photo of me in it. And it was me wearing my Kermit onesie. And I showed him it, and he said, what's wrong with your arm? Because in the picture, I had a sling. I'd hurt my arm. And it was actually a little while later I realized he'd seen the sling. But aren't those ping pong balls? How does... I don't... I don't I think there's a little bit more going on here than a lot of you <laughs> assume. But we'll go back now to the second time I met Kermit the Frog and the crux of my story. It was on the set of that Muppets film. The one that was released, Muppets Most Wanted. They filmed it under the title, The Muppets, dot, 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 again. Better title. <laughs> Should listen to me. Um, so I went and I was standing around on the set and they were um, filming some scenes uh, Tina Fey was there, Ricky Gervais was there in a Lima costume. I spent half an hour speaking to Ricky Gervais in a Lima costume. Um, that's another story for another time. But I did stand there between shots speaking to Kermit quite a bit. And Walter, I don't know if any of you know Walter the Muppet, but he had his little Kermit the Frog watch on. And we were sort of speaking quietly during takes and he was showing me the watch. But I spoke to Kermit and um, after the interview with Kermit, I started feeling a little bit lightheaded. I was getting a little bit excited. And I actually fainted. I genuinely fainted. Um, it was quite hot in there. Um, and I woke up in the med bay at the film studio and I didn't know where I was. And the first thing I saw when I opened my eyes was massive Hattie Jakes. Because this was also where they filmed the Carry On Doctor and Carry On Matron film. So their med bay, the walls were basically big murals of images from, from Carry On Doctor and Carry On Matron. It was quite alarming. Um, have I died? Have I gone to Hattie Jakes heaven? Um, <laughs> But they run some med tests and they found an atrial fibrillation and something was up. And basically I was one of those um, fat on the outside, fat on the inside sort of people. I had a lot of, uh, a lot of extra fat on my organs and, and I was told I had to shake it off. But they said to me, they said that the coach to London's going back soon and I'm from Oxford. So did I want to call someone from Oxford to come and pick me up because we're sort of halfway in the middle. And if I could find someone to come pick me up, I could stay here and I could hang out with the Muppets. Right, so I'm like, well, I'm going to call everybody. And I called literally everybody I know, including my wife, who, w who wasn't on the other side of the world at that time, like she is now. So what was her excuse? But I couldn't get hold of anybody. So I had to get back on this coach and go all the way to London, all the way back home, rather than spending the rest of my afternoon with the Muppets. So not great. But the diagnosis I got that day did change my life. It changed my life temporarily. I had to change the way I ate. I had to change a lot of lifestyle things. And, um, you know, doctors do that to us. But... I think that didn't really explain everything that was going on for me that day. A diagnosis I got some years later actually explained everything that was going on that day. Because after my dad passed away and I'd been his carer, I struggled a lot of anxiety and I spoke to some counsellors and I actually saw a counsellor on a Thursday afternoon, a different one on a Friday morning. And had they both not said the same thing within 24 hours, I wouldn't have been quite so sure that there was something to it, but they both asked me, and these are the exact words they both used. Has anyone ever asked you if you're on the spectrum? No. But 
the sense they were asking, so we looked a little deeper. And You know, they call it the spectrum, and doctors are moving away from that now. It's a bit of a misnomer, and I think the metaphor they use now is more like an ice cream bar, right? You don't, it's not, you're somewhere on the line. It's like some people have some nuts and some uh, chocolate chips, and some people have some, some sauce. There's an array of options, and they're all mixed in together to make your, your com- condition. And I think that's probably a bit more accurate, but that's not really my preferred term for it. Thinking about the spectrum and thinking about a rainbow, for me, actually, and thinking about what they say about people with autism spectrum conditions and how they have increased empathy for animals, and I can certainly say I've got increased empathy for frogs. (laughs) Um, um, I think that, for me, I don't think of it as being on the spectrum. I think of it as um, having the rainbow connection. Fred Connolly. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a wonderful first part. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk.